Hi, this is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. You can find Author Magazine at authormagazine.org. That's right. And we are funded by the wonderful people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association. They have been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. They're still doing it. And they're having a great conference come September. Yes, they will. And you can sign up for that now. People are signing up for it. I'll be there. It's going to be virtual. So it doesn't matter where you are. You can attend. And I'll be there doing my thing. I will be teaching an all-day, everyone-has-what-it-takes workshop at the 2021 Writers' Digest Conference this July. So if you want to sign up for that conference, you should do that as well. That's right. Can't get enough of them. Okay, well, listen, it's great to be back. Uh, I've been getting some great feedback on everyone-has-what-it-takes, a writer's guide to the end of self-doubt, and uh, hope you've picked up your copies If you have, I'd love to hear from you. I always love to hear from readers. It's true. I do. Yeah. So, you know, maybe on social media, maybe an email to me. Doesn't matter. Hope you enjoy it. And I hope you enjoy today's conversation with the wonderful Chris Power. Chris, uh, well, Chris, he's the author of Mothers, which is a wonderful short story collection, uh, which was longlisted for the Rathbones Folio Prize and shortlisted for the Edge Hill Short Story Prize. His new novel, A Lonely Man, was just published to rave reviews. He lives in London, and we had a great conversation about writing and Tolkien and creativity and just a lot of stuff. And I'm so glad I get to share that with you now. Enjoy. Chris, Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Bill. Appreciate it. Well, let's see. You started this uh, writing journey of yours. Uh, as I understand it, it really started like a lot of people, in truth, when you were just a wee lad. Is that so? That you recognized early on, this is something you're interested in? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I wanted to be a writer for many, many years before I really did anything, you know, useful in terms of actually realizing that dream. I think it was you know, when I was, and I read uh, Lord of the Rings. It took me like a year read it i was carting around this enormous how old were you how old were you i was eight eight um yeah which when was the last time you looked at lord of the rings i read that book i was it you know changed my world i was 12 years old but i reread it recently or i looked at it i was like holy crap this is slow for a 12 year old to read the way he paced it yeah absolutely yeah because there's no like whereas the film cuts between no no yeah, yeah the whole story spread out of like Sam and Frodo and yeah, yeah. he made me feel that slog through Mordor I only have good recall of it now because I actually just finished reading it to my daughters which took about three wow. and a half months I just read wow. every night at bedtime but they kind of loved it I think they were zoning out occasionally when there was very long geographical description of mountain <laughs> ranges and stuff Tom Bombadil but, but that see that bit kind of that bit was was I mean, I didn't really appreciate the um, the psychedelic overtones of that right. when I first read it. I was just yeah. kind of very confused. 
but it gets very cosmic and very very strange and he's quite an ambiguous character which is interesting because yeah. you're not really used to ambiguity as a as a child and i grew to love that in fiction as i got older nice. but there it just sort of went straight over my head i think when i was yeah. when i was eight so <laughs> you're introduced to stories and the imagination and boom that's it and you think i want to do this did you think I want to write fantasy literature or you just you didn't you just wanted to write stories you didn't think about it? Yeah, back then I, I started writing sort of um uh sort of 10 page, which for me, which for a sort oh. of an, an eight-year-old was like uh was like my 1000 page. Yeah, that's uh, like opus. Ulysses. <laughs> I'd write yeah, right. Yeah. I'd write these these very um quite quite grisly kind of um you know fantasy stories where Everyone seemed to die at the end. I seemed to have this, <laughs> this unpleasant streak when it came to my characters. But, um, and then that kind, of, that kind of morphed into a teenage kind of, you know, I was, I was a goth and I wrote poetry. Oh, you know, oh. Very, um, <laughs> very despairing and obviously massively um, focused on me and my feeling, universalizing my feelings. Yep. And then really I sort of, I still wanted to be a writer and I would still sort of, you know, probably tell people I was going to be a writer or whatever, but then I, I wasn't really writing or I was only writing when, when inspiration would strike. Yeah. yeah. And that, that went on for a long, long time. And it was really only in my, in my thirties that I sort of actually started getting up every day and writing before I would go to work. And that was when I actually started producing work that was something like the idea I had in my head of what I wanted my writing to be like. Interesting. Like before that I was writing stuff and I was like, this doesn't, this doesn't really marry up with what I want to be producing. Although I couldn't quite define exactly what I wanted. I had this sort of platonic ideal, but it was sort of yeah. hazy, out of focus, you know? Yeah, you know, it's so mixed. I, I love that because so much, you have an idea, an idea, but you know what it is. I write a lot of essays, lots and lots of essays, creative things, but, and they're short, a lot of them are short, like four or 500 words. And I've written so many thousands that I, and I know you you wrote a critique for a while also, and perhaps this one happened too, which is I would get an idea in my head and i say, oh, I know how I'm gonna write it. And I had to teach myself to say, don't, don't, you don't actually know what's gonna happen until you get to the page. And that happens to subjects that I know a lot about. So it makes sense that like, until you start writing, you don't know what you wanna write until you hear your voice, until you're making choices and choosing the sentences and the words, it makes total, but you'd think you should be able to just picture it. Oh, I know what I want to read, but you don't, you don't even know what you want until you're putting it down on the page. Yeah? Yeah, exactly right. And frustratingly, you don't actually, um, you know, I kind of wish it was like, uh, my, my father-in-law is, uh, is a ceramicist and he, you know, he makes oh, a lot of yeah. beautiful vases and plates and, and, uh, and art objects. And, you know, I see him working and I'm like, well, he's, he's made, you know, a thousand cups and he can just he can make you a great cup and i might have written you know i don't know however many short stories and a uh, novel and i turn up at the page and it's like i've forgotten yes. everything i've ever done before yes <laughs> page one again and i have to write a first draft which has to be terrible and i have to think it's okay and then i have to return to it and find out it's awful and then do the work of you know going over and over i mean i revise a lot so i yeah. always start off from a very bad place and then and then try and get better let's not call it bad let's not call it bad <laughs> let's call it formative <laughs> the seed isn't bad it's in the ground doing what it should be doing right 
And that formative is good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you know, even though you weren't writing your fiction, you were writing. You were being paid to write. You did first. You were a critic. Is it for the Guardian? Who did you write for? Yeah, I started writing for the Times, the Times okay. of London, and right. um, and then after that, yeah, the Guardian. I really started. I started writing this. Um, well, originally weekly, but that was a folly. It was it was a series on the short story. I would take a different short story writer in each. Oh. Uh, and then I would write a, a, an essay about their work, you know, sort oh. of in oh. photo. Rudyard Kipling or Dennis Johnson or Jane Bowles or whomever it was. Um, and I, I kept that going for, well, it hasn't officially ended, but it's, it was called a brief survey of the short story, but it's in its uh, 13th, 14th year now. Wow. So, um, wow. yeah. Um, well, I, you know, I thought about this. What's, say again? I'm saying that, that that taught me a lot, you know. Yeah. Writing about writers and really doing the work of reading their you know body of work and thinking critically about it and more widely like I've been reviewing for years and years and, and that sort of critical thinking I think without necessarily realizing at the time it's helped my own writing a lot. See I find it so interesting when I get together with my friends who are literary writers and the subject of critics comes up <laughs> it is not always a friendly conversation because it seems to me that the, the literary writer more than any other, let's call it genre, any other type of writer has a kind of love-hate relationship with the critic because they in a way need the reviews, I think to some degree more than a mm. romance writer or mystery writer or, or fantasy or science fiction writer. But man, mm. do they get a little tweaky when those reviews aren't what they, you know, for obvious reasons. And so yet you started that way. Does that ever... Does the part of you that was a critic ever, like how do those two minds mesh, the fiction writer and the critic? Do they, are they friendly? Are they unfriendly? They are, they're on speaking terms. Yeah, there's, there's an amicable relationship with them. Yeah, definitely. I think they will, it's been on a sort of parallel track for me because, because I wanted to be a writer, you know, from age eight. Right. Um, so, and as in a fiction writer, I mean, when, when my first book, which was a collection of stories called Mothers, came out in 2018, you know, a lot of people asked, you know, how does it feel to kind of um, be gamekeeper turned poacher or poacher turned gamekeeper? I'm not sure. Right, right. John's a witch. But, um, you know, it was like, oh, you've been a critic for this long and now you're, you know, sort of subjecting yourself to that. But because in my head I've been a writer, you know, because right. you're a writer. You, if you want to be a writer, you know, even the, yeah. even if you're not necessarily writing every day. Um, so for me, it was like, oh no, I've always been a fiction writer. I just haven't been writing any fiction. <laughs> but uh, you know, so it, it didn't feel like that to me. But I think those two things, you know, I can understand writers having a, a complex relationship with criticism because, like fiction writing, there are a lot of you know, people who write criticism badly, and there are some people who write it really well, and you're not necessarily, you know, even if you get like a good review of your book, you might look at it as a piece of writing and go, I, I don't really, you know, <laughs> really agree with that, or, or I don't really get what this you person You can have critiques of critiques. This just started. I mean, it's a, a turtles. A, that website out. feels like it could write itself, man. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's one of those things. It's just, I think, I mean, obviously, if someone slags off your book, you can console yourself by going, well, that person's an idiot, and I'm just going to, like, ignore work. them. <laughs> you know, it, 
and you always think that for like the first 24 hours and then sometimes you might go oh well that point was well made or maybe they had a point here I think you've got to kind of I don't know I mean being right I find being a writer a weird mix of um sort of massive self-confidence and huge yawning self-doubt you know and those two things kind of exist at the same time because you might want that balance you want to be right on that balance beam but you're prepared to spend like two years or two and a half years working on something alone getting very little feedback probably for the first like year if it's a novel yeah and you've got to have the confidence that it's actually worth doing that's kind of insane to begin with and then you gotta obviously you know when I was writing uh, A Lonely Man it was it was these pockets of doubt would keep on like open it was like I'd be walking along and suddenly the pavement sidewalk would just open up in front of me and there would just be this abyss and I'd just be like what if it's terrible what if it falls apart what if it doesn't work you know I just published a book June 1st about doubt about self-doubt for the writer and I mean the one of the many things in teaching this, I teach writers about the sort of emotional challenge of writing is the thing about self-doubt is there is no arguing with it. There is no defeating it. You can't pick up your sword and, and the more you give it attention, the, it just grows and grows. Like you are just have to not engage it. And it just cries out for your, like, what if, what if, what if, like you're supposed to answer it, and you cannot answer it. You cannot, <laughs> but man, you keep asking that question as you go through it. It's up. Ah, it can be insidious. It can follow the writer for that whole journey, can't it? Yeah, it really can. But I think ideally, certainly I've found, and I don't know if this is because I've got a, uh, I worked for many years in, as a copywriter at a, in advertising agencies where you literally write something and then you take it into a room and like seven people just kick it to death right. in front of your face yeah, like, right. every, every day. Like that's the job. And I think, while it's obviously different if it's your novel or short story that they're kicking to death rather than some ad copy, I think it does help you learn that there are people who give really good notes and there are people who give bad notes. Yeah. And sometimes the good notes can be unfavorable. Sometimes they can be favorable. And the bad notes, you just ignore them, whether they're favorable or not. You know, you just and you kind of learn to triage that sort of feedback you get and coexist with don't you also have to, I, Jim Carrey tells the story of the comedian Jim Carrey of doing stand-up before a rock concert. Comedians will sometimes be recruited for that. I don't know why it seems bizarre, but they would. And, and he was doing it, wasn't going well, and someone lobbed a urine-soaked towel at him. Whack! So he gets hit with it, and his first thought was great. He said, it will never get worse than this. This is as bad as, and I can, and I'm still here and I'm still alive and I will keep doing it. And so I thought of you in the, in those sessions of getting kicked, because on some level, don't you have to kind of get clear, like, I'm okay. Like they can kick it and they can criticize it, but they see I'm still in one piece here and I can still create and I still have a mind. Because there's this idea of like, it'll happen and you'll fall off some cliff, right? You'll get a horrible review or you're book won't sell or whatever there's some you'll reach some sort of creative abyss from which you can never return does that resonate with you yeah it does I, I think certainly in my case I sort of I can um to a degree I mean I have I have feelings and I bleed like anyone else but I can read criticism of my work and I'm always curious to to read it I'm interested in you know learning about people's responses to the books um but I can sort of separate that out from my own writing and not let it sort of impact on me. And maybe it's because, you know, I sort of, I, I took my time 
getting here and I did a lot of um, work and I threw away a lot of writing before right. I got to like kind of writing what I wanted to. And I wonder if, if you know, if I'd been a lot younger and had published, if I would have been more affected, I guess. I guess it depends how sort of confident or how sure you are of your style. Again, I'm sure you can be sure of it at, at age 18, you know, if, if you have a certain personality type. But um, but I know writers who have been, you know, really scarred by reviews or kind of knocked off their path for a while because they've sort of taken it as feedback and gone chasing something or tried to change their style. And it, and it maybe sometimes it's a good thing, maybe sometimes it's not, I don't know. It must be, it's got to, you've got to have some sort of division between the, between the yeah. two things. Andre Debus first said to me, the novelist, and I, and I really have, the more I've come to understand voice, which is another word for stylist, and the more right I think he is, that voice is an expression of content, meaning what you're interested in and why you're interested in it will dictate. So the book I just published has a particular voice to it, but I realized as I was rereading it, the voice was necessary to talk about what I was, like to talk about that subject matter, that the mm. understanding why, that the language will come to serve why you're interested in that subject matter, for instance, right? I don't, I don't think, now I could be wrong, but you can artificially decide on a sort of approach and then just apply it to everything. I would think that the subject matter would demand a certain thing from you in terms of to, for you to be able to accurately bring it to life in the way it needs to be brought to life. Word, word. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I wonder if, if I'm just thinking of it in terms of my own writing, because I think the, the voice or the, the sort of narrative voice or the, the tone, I suppose, of my short stories and my novel is, is sort of similar, is the one unifying fact because sure. they're very different in subject matter. But, but well, I, I'm just going to interrupt you quickly. It, the, hmm. the subject changes, but the sort of worldview sometimes doesn't. In other words, you have a sort of view of the world you're interested in, and maybe you're writing about different things, hmm. but that that worldview, which is the ultimate subject matter in a way, like what your why the world is worth telling stories about. Does that make sense? Not in terms of writing about a writer, say, or a mother, or whatever. I guess that's what sure. subject matter. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does make sense. I'm thinking. I think there are some writers who are like who are more like chameleons, and they're and they're they style and yeah, yeah, yep. from book to book, depending on on what that particular book is. And there are others who, who yeah, like you say, that the voice kind of binds them. Like Saul Bellow, say, you know, might be writing about very different characters, but there's, you kind of know it's a bellow book right. when you pick up an open page. I, I really like the voice. Where is it? For, there it is, let's move some paper. This is the American edition, A Lonely Man by Chris Power. Now, I love the voice in this. It's just really friendly. I don't know if you want it to be, but it's very inviting, very smart, very clean, very clean. I liked it. Um, but I feel I should warn our viewers and listeners, many of whom are writers, this is like maybe a trigger warning. Because the book, <laughs> I went through this a little bit, a little PTSD. The book is about a novelist. <laughs> the book is about a novelist who had published a collection of short stories and is trying to write his next book and it is not going well. And as soon as we introduce our protagonist and you really get start getting into the sort of awfulness of, of, of just not, of it not happening, of it not happening. Oh God, I just, 
it just gives me the heebie-jeebies because I've, if you've ever been, if you ever had that experience, you know what it is. So talk to me about that. You, a decision to write about a writer, it always seems like a, 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 a tricky choice, but, but you know, the story presents itself. So maybe start there. Was it something you were worried about or were you excited about it? For me, it was really, um, it was a kind of circuitous path to that, to that, to that character, because um, yeah, it's funny that I have a sort of, theory that whatever you're writing about is what someone will be complaining about on Twitter. So it seemed like while I was writing, this, <laughs> there's always someone posting like, oh, not another effing book about a writer. Like, right, right. <laughs> I was like, well, mine's got two writers in it. So, you know, <laughs> maybe that's different. Um, but actually, the, the sort of way in, because there's a, a, a strand in the book that's about, um, you know, oligarchs and, and Putin's Russia and... Yeah. Uh, these sort of um, a number of deaths that have occurred throughout Europe and in America um, of, of people who've sort of fled fled Russia and criticised um, the administration there. Um, it was really that sort of story that interested me first. Um, you know, people like Alexander Litvinenko who was poisoned in London um, back in 2006 and the succession of these cases. But as I was reading more about it just out of out of you know grisly interest not necessarily thinking of a book at that point um once i did start thinking in terms of a story i wanted to tell it was actually you know the idea of a ghostwriter really appealed to me because that's a way you can get into a world without being of that world and, and needing to sort of understand it but without being complicit in it because it's a pretty murky world and I didn't necessarily want someone who was who was sort of you know while that could be great material for a novel itself it wasn't a novel I was looking to write um and then this this character of Robert who in some ways is is very like me and in other ways I should you know caveat is not yeah. uh, I'll, I'll let each reader decide which is which um you know he sort of emerged because well, I mean, that's the mystery of it, I guess. I, I think okay. it'll be... The mystery's this. good. The mystery's good. Well, the, you start writing something and you make so many sort of thousands of choices in quite a short space of time that it comes to seem like... Like, I don't really believe that that talk of, like, oh, the characters just started talking to me or whatever. But I think what yeah. it is is that you make, you make so many choices that you kind of... You can't find your way back through the the tangled forest of them. And so it does seem like a, like a sentient thing, if you like. You spend long enough with the idea and working on it that it starts to generate its own meanings and its own possibilities. Yeah. And so Robert sort of, sort of grew out of that. So I can't, I, can't, I can't accurately state where he came from. That's okay. You know, mostly you can't, because I mean, that's the thing about writing is that you, you, know, you finish one sentence and, you know, you don't know what's next. And and you are, I think, if you're not being surprised on some level, you don't be shocked, but discover. I don't know how to write without discovery. I get bored, you know. And so it can just, one sentence can take it in a new direction. One sentence can, mm. can suddenly light up for you and go, oh, that's where the heat is. That's what's speaking. That's what I actually want to pursue. And it can be totally different than what you thought. And, you know, somehow we have to account for the surprise. We have, we all have to have our own language for what happens that we did not predict that often is the best stuff. Even though we have to do all this work and craft it and take out and blah, blah, blah. The stuff that to me has always been the most alive is the stuff that I didn't, that when I discovered it, that's when I 
felt the thing had its own life. The book had its own life in a way for all the work we put into it. You know, you still have to discover, discover. Otherwise, I don't know. Otherwise, why do it unless except to just get paid maybe? And that doesn't seem like motivation. <laughs> like go back to copywriting maybe, <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. Look, look, for the, look for the profits elsewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think that's true. Well, I think for me, it's a combination. I think there was a sort of, maybe it's like a climber who kind of like, you know, puts their pitons up and, and sort of traces the route before they do the actual climb. I, I like the idea of like, the, the story, the short stories I wrote was much more sort of free in that I was writing them over quite a long time and I would drop in and sort of shape a scene and then I'd move elsewhere. When it came to this, this novel, I, I, I had the idea and I wanted to start writing it and I was prevented for about a year just by, by work and pre-publication stuff for my short stories and just being generally distracted. Um, but that year was really useful because I was turning it over in my head kind of, kind of throughout, whether consciously or subconsciously and making notes here or there and building up a kind of research reading list and stuff. So when I actually came to write it, I'd been thinking I was gonna do sort of similar things. I'm gonna write the bits that I, that I know and I'm gonna come back to other bits later. But I actually wrote the whole thing beginning to end. I found I could sort of write a two, three sentence synopsis of each chapter and I could go beginning to end. And sure enough, there were many discoveries along the way in that you know, certain things really changed between drafts. Or like you say, you write a sentence, you suddenly think, oh, this, is, this person's slightly different to who I thought they were. Or you know, it, it, these little joys, yeah, in, in the process. But I found that actually just repeatedly, you know, writing it beginning to end six or seven times or whatever it took um, was for me, it was a really like productive way of doing it. And I think if I had done it the way I was thinking, like, oh, I'll write a bit, then I'll revise, then I'll write a bit, then I'll revise. I'd probably now have, well, you wouldn't be talking to me because I'd have three like beautiful chapters. <laughs> the finished book, you know, I needed to. I needed to bust through a draft and then go back and then write. I needed to have it, have it there and then yeah. and then. All right. So you were eight years old. You read Lord of the Rings. That was it. You've been bit, and you want to be a writer. And if you've read a novel, and you want to be a writer, usually, even though you reviewed short stories and you published short stories, the novel stands. That's kind of the thing, isn't it? For a lot of, I mean, it sort of is the sort of the the ultimate kind of goal for many fiction writers, the novel. And so now you've done it. You're not a kid. <laughs> it's been a few years. So what do you think? Now that you've actually realized this part of this childhood dream, what do you think? What do you think? Does it make any sense to you? Can you make any sense of it at all? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, like Chekhov said, we're here to ask questions, not provide answers. <laughs> That's oh, my, good uh, my get out, my cop out. Um, no, I mean, I think, I mean, I certainly feel uh, a sense of achievement. I'm very glad I did it. I'm very proud of the book I've written. Yeah. Um, I, I, I definitely didn't see it as a, as a, I didn't see it as a sort of progression from short stories to novels. I see them as, you know, two distinct art forms yeah. and they're both, very difficult I mean I find all writing difficult I really do I That's think you know, enjoyably mostly enjoyably difficult but sometimes agonizingly you know and it's yeah. it's but since I 
finished the novel, I've um, just written quite a long short story, and I've just started a new novel. So it hasn't uh, it hasn't cured me of my illness. I still good. I still want to do more. Good. Oh, that's good. I'm glad to hear it. Well, look, it's a really good book. Uh, you should be proud. Uh, it just felt like something somebody had cared about. And so clearly the work look, to this reader, it showed. So well done. Congrats. I hope you're enjoying this experience. I know if you published it as I did with mine right in the middle of, well, your, well this was published. When did it publish in the UK? So it published like a week before bookshops reopened. It was first of April. Oh, okay. So, so all right. It so was good time. It was good did you time. get to go are you allowed to go talk to people? What's how's that? What's the situation there in London? I, I haven't done any live events. Hopefully, I will be doing in Edinburgh in August if we okay. continue on this. But I was able to go into bookstores and sign it and talk to booksellers. And, All right, that was, okay. that was a joke. Oh, it's not so bad. It, the, the Zoom events are okay. I did mine a Zoom launch. It's weird because no one's talking. They're all quiet, and so it's kind of a weird way to talk to people. But it's better than nothing. Okay, great. Well, listen, congratulations. Uh, they can buy it wherever fine books are sold, of course. Uh, but I got one more question for you. And uh, mm. Chris, what I would like you to do is finish this sentence. If writing, all the writing you've ever done has taught you anything, it's taught you what? The importance of perseverance. Do you, do you think you weren't someone who really, who took perseverance for granted before or for, or just... How did it teach you that, that you maybe didn't understand before? I think I was someone who was uh, naturally lazy, who <laughs> would, you know, pursue things that they had a facility for and would kind of throw in the towel on everything yeah. else. You know? And then I found this one thing that I really wanted to do, and I didn't think I was good enough at it, but I, you know, tried to leave it alone for many years when I was like saying I wanted to be a writer, but not really writing but it wouldn't let me go. I had to do it. And then I realized that to be good at it, you had to like do it for a long time and try again and again and again. So there you go. Perseverance, perseverance. You got to do it. Got to stick with it. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And love is what will help you do that when you do the thing you love. Yes, indeed. I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. Thank you, my friend. Thank you to all out there, all of you out there who listen, support this podcast. It's just awesome. Uh, and so until next week, I'll be back again next week. Just go find something you love to do and do it. Mm-hmm.